As a Climavores listener, you know we spend a ton of time trying to understand and help you understand how climate change affects food and vice versa. Beef, corn, rice, deforestation, overfishing, food waste, our current food system just isn't great for climate change or for people. But that also means there are huge opportunities to build a better one. Today, we want to introduce you to important, not important. It's science for people who care, like Climavores. This critically acclaimed show, hosted by Quinn Emmett, helps you, one, feel better, and two, improve the world through deep-dive conversations with incredible humans working on the front lines of the future. Quinn teases out stories, tips, and tactics from senators, scientists, and investors, helping you to answer everyone's favorite question, what can I do? In this episode, Quinn welcomes Ashwarya Iyer, founder of Brightland, which makes olive oils and vinegars with climate in mind, to try and understand what it's like to start a food company in the climate era, why their bottles are both beautiful and useful, and what California's drought means for food. Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett, and this is science for people who give a shit. There's a lot going on out there. Man, our world is changing and being changed every single day. And friends, you can take part in that change. I talk to the smartest, most impactful people on the planet to provide you with the inspiration and tools you need to feel better and to fight for a better future for everyone. Our guests are CEOs and scientists, doctors, nurses, journalists, uh, farmers, policymakers, educators, astronauts, even a reverend. If you want to be inspired to find out how to make radical change, hit the subscribe button right now and you'll get even more conversations, stories, and tools right when they come out. You can also go backwards. You can scroll through the feed or go to podcast.importantnotimportant.com, the link's right there in your show notes, where you can find 120-plus evergreen episodes covering everything from clean energy to cancer and artificial intelligence to regenerative agriculture. You can sort by category, you can see our starter pack, whatever you need. In this week's conversation, we're going to unpack the most delicious olive oil I've ever tasted, how it came to be, the women behind it, and what it means to start and run a company like this in the age of climate change. My guest is Ashwarya Iyer, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. A reminder, you can send questions, feedback, or guest recommendations to me on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email me at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Climate crisis keeping you up at night? Welcome. Better sleep awaits with an organic certified avocado green mattress, the world's first climate neutral certified mattress for net zero emissions. Avocado knows we can all do our part to address climate change, and their new podcast series, A Little Green, shows how we can each challenge the status quo and become climate leaders in our own communities. Because protecting our planet is going to take all of us. Find a little green wherever you listen to your podcasts and get more rest at avocadomattress.com. 
My guest today is Ashwarya Iyer, and uh, I'm so excited to have you here, mostly so I can have more for delicious foods. Ashwarya, welcome. Thank you. I'm so just to be here. Mm-hmm. We will see. Ashwarya, <laughs> if you don't mind, tell the people real quick who you are and what it is that you do. So I, my name is Aishwarya Iyer. I go by Ash. I live in Los Angeles, sunny LA, and I am the founder and CEO of Brightland. Brightland is a pantry essentials brand, most well-known for our extra virgin olive oils and fruit-forward vinegars made right here in California. And I'm also a dog mom. I have two wonderful dogs and uh, I've been married for about six years. That is awesome. Now I'm entirely distracted. Let's talk about your dogs for a second here. What yes. are their names? What are they? How old are they? What are their personalities? Go. Yeah. So Crosby and Madison oh, are the good. two the two dogs okay. named after two special streets in New York City. Okay. Crosby is a terrier mix. We think he's some sort of Yorkie schnauzer mix. Mm-hmm. And Madison is some sort of like cockapoo mix. Mm-hmm. They both are rescues. We got Crosby five, six years ago and Madison almost two years ago. Madison is like a mop, uh, (laughs) just really looks like one. All she cares about is food and being near, near Uh us. And Crosby has enough personality to take over a stadium. Uh He is a little dog that's 11 or 12 pounds with the personality of, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Bill Clinton. Sure. So, Yeah. (laughs) How do they get along? Wait, how old are they? Madison is 11 Mm. and Crosby. These are guesses, by the way. Oh, sure. I've got one of those too. Yeah, 11-ish and and Crosby, excuse me, is 7, 8-ish. Okay. And they get along well. I think they like each other. I wouldn't say that they adore each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's fair. And how long have they been together? They've been together for two years Okay. All right. So we're getting in there. Yeah. And you said you have dogs? I do. I've got a long history of them. In fact, it's helpful uh, for the people out there, and we'll get into this in a, in a funny setup, works with my brothers in some uh, way. And you should know that my brother was named after uh, a friend's family dog. So stuff, stuff that in your pocket. I definitely am. Yep. Uh, yeah, we've had some wonderful dogs over a lifetime. And then when I met my wife, she had a dog, Buddy, who we loved very much, was a schnauzer poodle, a schnoodle. Very complicated woman, loved her so much. She died at 14 and a half, which is about all you can ask for a couple years ago. And now we've got Teddy, who is basically my other coworker here. He's our rescue. Similar cockapoo. I mean, who who can even know what this dog is? Rescued out of a cardboard box uh, surrounded by his dead brothers and sisters when he was a baby and still wakes up every day like it's the greatest day in the world. But is, I mean, I am firmly convinced that he thinks he's a human. Yes, it's, it's, they are. Yeah. They they think they are. And my dogs will sit on the sofa with us, mm-hmm. almost human-like. They will, if if we let them, I think they would sit at the dinner table with mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you could tell him that he's a dog. He's not interested in in, in that <laughs> lifestyle whatsoever. Uh, it's it's pretty entertaining, but he's, uh, he's mm-hmm. the best. Dogs are the greatest things ever. They are. Really are wonderful, awesome. Uh, do you want me to? Should we go with Ashwarya or should I roll with Ash? It's totally up to you. Oh, Ash is great. Okay, it's up to you. This is great. This is great. Um, Ash, thank you for sharing your story and about your dogs. We will come back to them for sure. We do like to usually kick this off with uh, one specific question to set the tone instead of uh, enlightening us with your entire life story. I like to ask Ash, 
why are you vital to the survival of the species? And I encourage you to be bold because you are here for a reason. I am vital to the survival of the species because I, uh, I'm a dreamer. Mm-hmm. I'm also a doer and I'm an eternal optimist. And these are three things that we really, really need. Mm-hmm. I think on the dreaming side, we need we need people who are dreaming big and um, dream, dreaming about what could be. Um, and on the doing side, I think dr- dreaming is not enough mm-hmm. and executing is incredibly important. And I think one you know perfect example of that is, you know, not to like plug my company, I mean, but Brightland. Yeah. No, with Brightland, you know, I started the company with $30,000 of my savings. I didn't have access to sort of the usual friends and family sort of, you know, um, network. Mm -hmm. And we have done, you know, since then we have raised some capital, but, you know, we've done so much with so little. And I think that, you know, that that element of um, dreaming and doing coming together can be, be a really unstoppable combination in terms of putting something good out in the world. And, you know, you might be asking, OK, what is that good out in the world that we're put, that we're putting out? It's really exceptional, fresh, high quality, extra virgin olive oil and vinegar in an industry that's like rampant with questionable sort of quality mm-hmm. pantry essentials. Sure that are littered, you know, littering our shelves. So, and ultimately that means that it's better for you, uh, has more health benefits and tastes better and changes how you think about your food and your cooking. Um, And then the final piece of it uh, in terms of the optimism. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really tough right now to think about sort of your own world or just broader society in a positive way and I always, always try as much as possible to look to the sunny side of situations. And I think we really need people who, you know, we have to, we have to think that way. All of that is welcome to find it all in one package is, is wonderful and essential and necessary. So, uh, and, and I I don't want to say deeply lacking out there because I do feel, you know, there's a lot of folks that are that are trying to embrace those things to put them out there. It's just like you said, it's 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 hard uh, sometimes yes. these days to do that, and uh, it might increasingly uh, be that way just because of some of the stakes we've put in the ground. But there's always room for it, and um, it's what's going to help us, you know, push through this just tremendous transformation. Exactly. Thank you for sharing all that. You know, it, I always try to think about why. I, I specifically wanted to have this conversation and not just have it, but put it out there. Cause I've, I've 10 times the number offline that, that, that we eventually, you know, we'll sit down and, and record. And I've been so lucky to meet and, and dig into and explore topics and, and people and all these different things. But besides your incredible food, which we're going to get, we're going to get to, you know, we are undergoing this tremendous transformation. And I choose to use that word a lot because while we have enormous Paint the landscape, right? Uh, we have made huge progress uh, in the sort of Steven Pinker perspective over the past at least 50 years, improving the outcomes for the majority of humans in the world, right? On, on so many flavors. It's it's so easy to to notice that. We also have, there's been trade-offs. We, we have enormous systemic issues, many of which are the same we've had for the past 50, 100 years or 400 years, and many are new or they're coming to light, but yeah. always with problems come opportunities. And that's why I use that word transformation because we're doing all of it. And part of that is 
folks are just more concerned and they're more thoughtful than ever about the food they buy and where it comes from. And if it's something that's grown out of the ground, which it should be, uh, how it's grown and where it's grown, how it's handled, what it does or doesn't do to their bodies, which for a lot of things is kind of always up for debate, or even their kids' bodies or their parents' bodies. And of course, again, caveating all of that with the note that at least in America, the accessibility and the availability and the affordability of the so-called cleanest and healthiest foods are nowhere near universal uh, by any stretch. Um, and to go even further, nor are the incentives to grow the healthiest foods, right? If we if we were doing this right, we'd be, we'd be growing 90% legumes. But there is a new wave of far cleaner, more innovative, and at the same time, often simpler options in everything from sodas, right? Some of these colas that are just chock full of probiotics to chips and olive oils and vinegars and honey. And oh my God, you're honey. Um, so on the one hand, there's no better time to start a specialty food company. There's funding for it now. There's demand for it. There are even, you know, marketplaces like uh, Thrive, right? That directly support these types of things. But on the other, again, it's complicated, you know, starting a specialty food company during what is basically the beginning of a climate crisis and in California, it has a high degree of difficulty. But I have been inhaling your products for a couple of years now. I have heard so much about you and I want to understand this whole thing. And I know there's so many people in our community who are doing things like you're doing or try to or want to be a designer at a company like yours or on the manufacturing side or or growing side. So I want to dig into this thing from, from soup to nuts. So Ash, let's start with why olive oil? There's like 6 million different bottles and that's just at Whole Foods or wherever. Um, your website says no fillers or artificial preservatives. What's usually in olive oil? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think it goes back to the genesis of, you know, why I decided to start Brightland. And that was because I was cooking more and, you know, just stopped eating outside all the time, was still living in New York City, started experimenting in my kitchen and kept noticing that I kept getting stomach aches every time I cooked, Mm. both my partner and I. Mm. And we cut out bread, we cut out cheese and spices. And eventually uh, a nutritionist friend said, oh, it might be the cooking oil you're using. So you should, you know, figure that out. And we said, oh, maybe it is, you know, it could be the cause of cause of our stomach aches. So I started Googling, you know, bad olive oil or rancid olive oil, because we were using olive oil at the time Mm -hmm. and was really surprised to read about, you know, there's just a lot of pieces that have come out in recent years about how there may be uh, major quality issues in the olive oils that we're consuming. Mm -hmm. There may be adulteration, which means that, you know, olive oil is being blended with palm oil, canola oil. Um, There may be rancid and rotten product on the market. So just reading about that was really shocking, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that spurred the interest in, okay, well then what what does good mean? Sure. Um, And so now what does good mean to you? What What was your, I guess let's start with uh, you know, your earliest phase of taking this on, what was your, your threshold, sort of your lowest common denominator for being, to, to steal a phrase from the industry, better for you? Yeah. I mean, look, I had no idea what good olive oil meant. I thought it meant it's coming from Italy and then you hold on to it and save it <clears throat> for as long as possible because it's special. Like and wine. Maybe expensive. 
like wine. Exactly. I had no idea that there were olive varietals like wine. I had no idea if you take a step back that olive oil is like wine in so many beautiful ways and has those nuances of terroir and varietals and, you know, harvest date and all of those things. But it's the opposite of wine in that it absolutely has a shelf life and you need to consume it as fast as possible in order for for you to taste it in its freshest state. And that was news to me, you know, and I think that, you know, starting with freshness and then moving into what does it mean to blend two types of olives together? There are hundreds of types of olive varietals that can be blended into olive oil, which I had no idea about that either. I thought that was fascinating Mm -hmm. when I learned. And what happens is when you blend different varietals of olives together, the oil tastes different and can be used in different ways when you're cooking. So all of those things together, I think for me, were my baseline education of, okay, you know, freshness, harvest date, understanding that there's a shelf life, Mm -hmm. understanding the, the, you know, kind of the multi-layered varietal side of things. And then thinking about regionality. I think the, the final piece that really, you know, affected how we thought about Brightland was you don't have to find great olive oil, you know, across the Atlantic. It's also right here in the States and California. So that was the other discovery for me. It's also compelling, isn't it? You start pulling on these strings and discover that there's so much more to it than, than you know, you could ever have imagined as the layperson who just scans the bottles, finds a nice label and, and tries to pick up something that in, seems like it, it will at least be delicious and useful for your cooking, but at the, but at the, but I, I guess at, at, at most, but at least not make you sick, right? And that is your initial threshold is like, uh, I need something that's not going to make me not feel well, right? And then hopefully it is actually a, a benefit. Um, and it's interesting, again, like it's not so simple, just like if someone's like, well, you know, uh, agriculture and climate change, and you're like, buddy, that's like 4,000 different things. So, you know, we can talk, exactly. we can talk all day about that. Um, exactly. I'm curious if you could, uh, take a further step back f- for folks, cause you used a term that, that I think is helpful, but I wonder if it, uh, needs some contextualization in 2021 as we're going forward, which is this word, uh, this phrase pantry essentials. What else? fits in there to you. I guess let's let, I get that's going to be something different to so many different people depending on uh their cultures and where they're from or where they live and availability and of course um for their for their affordability. But for someone who is at home and we've all been at home for the past year and cooking more than usual, what are the pantry essentials besides olive oil in your mind? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, it can really it's so unique to each person and their background and how they cook and how they think about food. So I, I certainly don't want to speak for anyone else. I'm going to speak just for myself and it would be extra virgin olive oil. Um, for me, it would be, you know, sesame oil. Cause I do make a lot of Indian food with sesame oil or sometimes coconut oil. It would be avocado oil. So like maybe just the oils that you use vinegars that you might use. Mm-hmm the um, salts and peppers, the honey, agave, date syrup, 
sort of the sweetener side. And then spices, I think, could be considered pantry essentials. And you can kind of keep going after that, you know, like chili crisp could be a pantry essential if you want it to be. So I don't want to, you know, I, I think the the word, the phrase pantry essentials can be really far and wide reaching. But in the context of Brightland, you know, for us, we think about it in the lens of, hey, is this something that you're, you know, picking up and grabbing on a pretty regular basis? Is this something that potentially lives on your countertop and isn't kind of stored away in a, in your refrigerator or in um, a cabinet? And um, that has allowed us to kind of think about, okay, you know, starting with extra virgin olive oils, what are other categories that fit under this umbrella pantry essential? Well, it's interesting because you're, you're totally right. It is so different for everyone. And I loved your description and thank you for sharing those. Uh, date syrup changed my life. I lived in the Middle East for a little while and I remember using that for the first time and just being like, oh my God. So good. So it's interesting because, it, it, you know, it, this is such a lateral leap, but I think about when, before Google bought them, when the company Nest came around and the first thing they... Uh, sort of reinvented was the thermostat. And it's just decidedly unsexy category, right? But it's in every house and they're terrible. But you guess you didn't really realize they were terrible because your context was there really wasn't anything better. So you just had this like imprecise slider back and forth and the temperature was just kind of gauged if you thought about it from wherever this thermostat was in like a dark hallway in your house. And that's what your house was set at. And they were like, but that's not good enough. And it could be so much smarter because it's 2021 and we know more and it can do more and and how revolutionary that was. And then the next thing they did, which which had some complications because it becomes more complicated with smoke alarms, right? Which again, everyone needs them, but they don't have to be just dumb and, and they go off in the middle of the night accidentally. And I think about that as we identify like what are in these sort of staple pantry essentials for most people, but then, you know, region by region and culture by culture and, and again, affordability wise, looking at them and going like, well, wait, just because there are 6 million bottles of olive oil on Whole Foods, and I'm, I'm sure some of these companies are, are doing the best we can, but a lot of them are our lowest common denominator. And they haven't informed you that, for instance, olive oil has a shelf life that it's not wine. I mean, how many people know that? I didn't really know that until your stuff came out. And that's crazy. I've been cooking my whole life. Right. Right. That's exactly it. I think there's just so much we don't, we don't really even know or realize. And for me, the, that aha moment was also seeing a lot of my friends and people around me really invest in the food that they were eating, whether it was going to the farmer's market and buying, you know, kale at a premium than you would maybe at Trader Joe's or, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking about, Hey, you know, thinking about clean beauty too, sure. I think was another sort of moment and element for me to say, Hey, you know, we're talking about what's going on our body. We're talking about what's going in our bodies from like a food standpoint and farmer's market standpoint. But again, these sorts of essentials are being used every single day. Like if you go and buy really high quality kale at the farmer's market and then you're dousing it with rotten avocado or olive oil, like what was the point? Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Absolutely. Hey, it's Quinn. I'll make this quick. Sifting through the news is a slog. Finding the signal and the noise is damn near impossible. And if you do, what can you even do about it? I'll tell you what you can do. Literally, every week, I'll tell you the most impactful thing you can do. In just 10 minutes a week, you can get smarter, feel better, and make radical change. 
for yourself, your family, your investments, your company, and for the world. Join tens of thousands of other leaders and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Get the most vital science news, exclusive analysis, and action steps for free. That's newsletter.importantnotimportant.com, or just click the link right in your show notes. Back to the show. It's so interesting you mentioned the beauty thing because that's a huge thing and and was outside my circle of competence, certainly, um, mostly from, you know, just negligence. Um, But, uh, you know, we had a really great conversation with uh, Greg Renfrew, who started and runs Beauty Counter. Mm, And it's really interesting. And I mean, she just set the tone when she was like, hey, do you know that, um, you know, the beauty industry hasn't been regulated since 1938? And you're just like, what? How is that? How is that possible? And then, you know, we dug in and really explored that, like, you're, you're putting this on your skin, which is incredibly absorbent. And these, first of all, you know, there's the element of the workers who are working on this and what they're going through, but also just the questionable chemicals that have just become the default for going into all these things so that your skin does shine or sparkle. And guess what? Exactly. There's trade-offs for everything. And just because something can sit on your shelf for a long time doesn't mean it should. So totally. I, I really appreciate uh, that, that, that thinking along those lines of like, we have to question our expectations because of this baseline that we have become accustomed to, even if we can afford what seems to be the fanciest bottle on the shelf. Um, yes. I want to talk a little about, because you work with uh, some family farms, is that correct? For the oils and the vinegars and maybe even the That's honeys? Right. Yes. Tell me about that. And then I have some questions. Yes. I mean, on the olive oil side, when I decided that I wanted to do this, I took courses at the UC Davis Olive Center. um, And then I started visiting farms up and down sort of California, whether it was the Central Valley, Central Coast. Some people didn't even want to talk to me, Mm. many people, and then ended up meeting a husband and wife team that, you know, lives in the kind of Central Coast near San Luis Obispo, that area. And we started talking about, hey, this is this is what I'm dreaming for, for this brand and this business. And they were so excited and really, I think, genuinely wanted to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so they've been one of our primary partners since the very beginning. And they're so like, I think galvanized to continue to grow with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, everything has grown organically. The olives on their groves are hand harvested and you know, I, I, I visit them pretty often and we'll have lunch and just spend time together and I'll, you know, walk through the groves and it's really, really special. I I love that. So, I mean, I don't think anyone who's listening to this is, would be surprised, uh, you know, to, to, to learn that family farms and small farms have had such a difficult time in the U S over the past, over the past decades, but, um, you know, really recently, um, it's not easy whether you're trying to sell milk in the Northeast or or you're someone in California or Florida or Georgia. Um, and, you know, that is, and again, I do want to remain uh, optimistic, but California is changing, you know, whether it's uh, water or it's the heat or it's the air quality or it's what's happening uh, with with the land becoming more parched and uh, the heat the workers are are dealing with, or just the affordability of where they're living, and ensuring these, you know, for instance, all these wineries and in, in uh, you know, in in the Santa Barbara area that that can't get insured anymore because of fire exposure. How does that work into these 
into the plans and the mindsets of these family farms you're working with and with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, look, I think with olives, olive trees, they're actually one of the most drought resistant trees in the world. And they require very little water. Mm -hmm. They require, I mean, compared to almonds or avocados, which are, so, you know, on that front, we, I think we've, chosen something and we're in a fortunate position that way from the size of the farm. It's such a good question. You know, large scale agriculture gets all of the subsidies Mm -hmm. and these small farmers that are making, you know, I'm going to talk specifically about olive oil, um, who are making amazing olive oil are really, you know, some of them are really struggling because the price per gallon that they need to charge based on labor and based on the honest practices that they have and the organic practices that they have, it ends up not being savory for someone like a, you know, a mass market grocery store that wants to do private label and sell your, the bottle for $10 a bottle. Like it just, the math doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, it, it has been actually a very interesting conversation with a lot of these farmers and these folks who say it's been really nice to have someone, you know, a brand like Brightland talk so much about quality and freshness and walk the walk in terms of who we partner with, because ultimately we're helping support these small farms. And hopefully we can inspire, you know, maybe a new generation of farmers who want to continue doing this because Mm -hmm. there's actual appetite on the consumer side too. And because of people like you, Quinn, who can taste the difference and are, you know, an avid supporter. And, you know, you've been, you've been cooking with Brightland for so long, you know, the difference now. Sure. And I think that is the big shift. I mean, I'm, I, I specifically will make a meal so that I can coat it in your olive oil at the end. I'm not kidding. I'm just like <laughs> the end goal is X. So what do I have to do to get there? That's so yeah. Amazing. I'm, I'm full, full evangelist <laughs> at this point, but again, I do acknowledge it's complicated and you're right. Olives seem perfect for this new, whether we want to call it an extended drought or desertification that California is beginning to go through. Um, because if you look at where olive oil has traditionally come from, and you look at the Middle East and Australia, not a lot of rain. You exactly. know, these places are inherently parched as they are. Um, so it seems like it's well-built as opposed to, like you said, and I was reading something the other day about, boy, we're just still growing a lot of almonds out there. And you you feel for those workers and those farm owners, but holy shit, it's totally untenable. It's incredible what they require. It's 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 truly gnarly, but uh, you know, again, this transition is not going to be completely comfortable for for so many folks. Um, talk to me a little bit about your newest endeavor as far as working with farms, which is your honey, which my children just like drink. By the way, oh my goodness, it's such yeah. a problem. <laughs> That's a good problem. Yeah, it's a good. <laughs> well, yeah. So we decided earlier this year to embark into honey. It's been on our roadmap for a very long time. And the reasoning behind it was, you know, we were reading up on, you know, how olive oil is named as the number one most fraudulent food in the world by a number of sources, and then saw that honey was number three. So we said, wait, what is going on here? Um, Dove a little bit deeper on that side. But most importantly, I think we, one of my colleagues and I uh, started talking to beekeeping families and beekeeping farms. And we tasted over 40 types of honey, by the way, which was a very hilarious and sweet endeavor. (laughs) Um, And ultimately chose 
two honeys. One is a California orange blossom from a fourth generation mother-son duo beekeeping family here in California. And then the other is a Kauai wildflower honey that is from a third generation beekeeping family that has roots here in California. But the this particular honey comes from an all-female, all-women beekeeping team out of Kauai in Hawaii. And so when I tried that Kauai honey, I mean, I had never tried anything like that before. I could taste the coffee notes Mm -hmm. and the eucalyptus and the wild, the hibiscus. And I didn't even know what I was tasting. You know, I said, this tastes like coffee. And my colleague said, yeah, that's because the bees are pollinating in coffee grounds on, uh, with wildflowers, like hibiscus with eucalyptus. And so whatever the bees are pollinating with and on, the honey ends up tasting like that. Yeah, it really is. It's like the matrix, red pill, blue pill. Like when you, you have it and you go, oh, wait, this is honey? Like this is this is exactly. what it's supposed to be. And it's it's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, with the California orange blossom, it tastes like citrus and oranges. Yeah. And tastes like, I think it tastes a little bit like jasmine flowers. And it has so much, again, that nuance and that beauty. It shouldn't just taste one-dimensional. It should taste three-dimensional, if not four-dimensional. Um, and I think that that's been, the feedback we've gotten has been amazing. And it's also so much fun to see what people make with it. Like some of our customers were talking about how they're making hot chicken cutlets oh. with the honey, like hot honey chicken cutlets. Mm-hmm. And people are, of course, using them with like dressings and marinades. Um, and then people, a bunch of people, including me, uh, were baking with the honeys, which has been a blast. My kids just make me buy, I mean, they're relentless. They make me buy, you know, like the tubes of biscuits and then they mm-hmm. just, dump, they just dump the honey. on them. I mean, they're just, it's so good. It makes their whole That night. actually sounds so delicious for up. next week. Yeah. It's, it's and for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So good. Um, so that's fascinating. And tell me about how the vinegars fit in, and then we'll have covered sort of your product offering so far. Yeah. So on the vinegar side, the vinegars came to be because people kept saying, are you going to come out with vinegars? Do you have any vinegars you'd recommend? And so we tasted, I think, 15 to 20 different vinegars. We talked to folks in California, outside of California, actually. And originally we thought, let's introduce like a red wine vinegar and see how that goes. And ultimately we ended up meeting this this couple that's also in the Central Coast. They're in a town called Templeton in in California. Mm -hmm. This couple that makes these fruit forward vinegars. So vinegars are double fermented. They get the grapes, if they're Chardonnay or Zinfandel grapes, they get the grapes from wineries that aren't using those grapes. Mm-hmm. So there's like an upcycling element to it. it. The grapes are double fermented and then they are, uh, they are blended with either California citrus, like oranges or navel and Valencia oranges, or, uh, the other variety that we have is a blackberry balsamic vinegar. Mm-hmm. It's a California balsamic. The blackberries are triple crown, triple crown blackberries that are picked on the vinegar farm itself. And so I think once we tried the two of those, we said, whoa, okay, this is really delicious and special. Let's, um, let's introduce this and see how it does. And it's been a, it's been a wonderful staple. We also did a partnership earlier this year with 
this amazing, really interesting strawberry brand called Oishi. Mm-hmm. Um, you should definitely geek out on it. They're doing some really interesting things in the vertical farming side of, of farming. Sure. And they're building this like, yeah, it, it's this strawberry that grows year round. And so we took some of those strawberries and made a strawberry vinegar with those special berries. They call them the omakase berries. And people went nuts. And, you know, fun fact, we sold out in like three days. Um, Oh, I know, Ash, because I missed it. And I'm still furious (laughs) about it. (gasps) Well, good news. We're bringing it back in January. (laughs) So keep your eyes peeled. Um, Well, thank you for filling uh, in the the picture for folks. It's, it is truly, they are, you know, truly delicious. And I love hearing about, again, sort of the soup to nuts from you know, steal the misused phrase from, from farm to table, truly, uh, uh, how, how you guys are building not only delicious products, but your portfolio of how you're approaching foods and why you are. And I want, I want to go back cause I, I was doing a little research, which always feels semi-stalky, but let me put it this way. I've got this friend who we had on the show. Her name is Bina Venkatarman and she is the mm-hmm. author of a book uh, speaking of, you would love called the Optimist's Telescope, and mm-hmm. she's also the opinions editor at the Boston Globe. And she has this quote, which has basically sort of redefined this show the past like year and a half, two years, and and my work, which is how she endeavors to be a better ancestor. And <laughs> I know it's it's messed up. Careful, like it'll really stick with you because it's really specific, but also pretty deep. Your own ancestors were salt farmers in India. Is that correct? Yes. So I wonder how that inspires you uh, and and the work you put into it and what practical lessons you've taken from it, but also acknowledging, you know, we did a conversation a year and a half ago, two years, who can know, that it was called The Monsoon is 11 Days Late. And it's about how, uh, you know, the climate for agriculture is changing so much in India. And I know a lot of the desert salt farmers there are facing great uncertainties with their product and their yields and the livability there. So I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about what that means to you and and what you take away from it every day. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that for the longest time. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I had these stomach issues, found out it could have been the cooking oil, you know, went down that rabbit hole. And then I just sat with it because I thought, why me? I'm not, I'm not a restaurateur. I'm not a chef. What is my connection? You know, I come from a family of super passionate home cooks. Mm -hmm. So cooking and food has been such an integral part of my life and how my parents express, you know, love, how we uh, maintain community and culture in terms of being, you know, Indian Americans here in this country. But I wasn't sure how it would tie into you know, from a business or professional side, I just couldn't see it. And I was in India um, in 2017 and my grandpa said, you know, yeah, you know, we used to, our ancestors in the 1800s used to harvest salt from the sea Mm. in South India, in Tamil Nadu. And we also were peanut farmers and he was just naming things. Mm. And I was so blown away and really felt this like something inside just click into place a little bit of, you know what, you can find a sense of where you're going based on, you know, where you come from. So it was a little bit of that that clicked into place for me. And it means, it means a lot. I love that. It's amazing uh, how you can sort of feel this intuition that doesn't seem to have any grounding uh, until it's filled in for you later. 
Yeah, exactly. You can't really explain it, but it's so powerful to know where you come from and that can end up informing the decisions you make in terms of where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am, I'm a big, uh, you know, one of those, uh, ancestry.com nerds. I love digging that stuff up for, for, for at least for my own kids, you know, because, uh, it's easy to lose those stories quickly. Like if your grandfather had never told you that stuff, you might not know those things. Yep. Exactly. But it also matters too, you know, I, I have endeavored to really try to build a show that is very inclusive because there are so many lived experiences and then ancestral lived experiences, even beyond my home guests that are just very different from mine. And, you know, um, I try to use that to to build something that is more informative and holistic, but also more impactful for folks because um, that's just where we are. We need we need that more than ever. Hey everyone, it's Quinn. Have you ever looked around your job and thought, what are we even doing here? If you've ever wanted to take your skills to more impactful work, to do world changing work, let me tell you, now's the time. With just one click, you can find a job that does that work at importantjobs.com. Important Jobs is for journalists, students, engineers, software developers, accountants, designers, nurses, research assistants, people who want to work in clean energy, consumer products, health tech, agriculture, and artificial intelligence. And if you work for a company or organization already doing that work, you can list your open roles at important jobs for competitive rates and get them in front of our entire community. Reinvigorate your career on the front lines of the future at importantjobs.com. Back to the show. Tell me about why you eventually brought on, this is such a pivot, why you eventually brought on investors. Because didn't you bootstrap uh, this little company from the beginning? I did. I bootstrapped it for over a year and we got to a place where I was saying no more than I could, more than yes, because we just couldn't do certain things that we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be in a place where I could say yes more to opportunities. That was, you know, I think a huge part of it. And I think the other part of it was I wanted to surround myself with champions and people who just would champion me and the business. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the second piece of it. Really, really seeking that support because as a solo founder, it's a lonely journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, how big is your team now? Our team is seven full-time, all women. Wait, hold You're only seven people? We're seven people full-time. We have, um, I, I do want to caveat that we have wonderful agencies sure. and part-time and interns. Like we have, we have wonderful people who, who support us, but yeah, full-time it's seven of us. That's, that's crazy pants. Wow. Um, that's very impressive. <laughs> I mean, you know, kudos to all this, uh, like you said, all the other support, but wow, that's, that's impressive. How tenable is that as you grow? Oh yeah. It's something I'm thinking about constantly. You know, I think I think we'll hit a point where I think our ambitions are really, really big. And I want to make sure that our team and how we structure and build the business can meet that moment. And so it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. So I do want to focus on the business here for a little bit, because, again, I, you know, people love the the life story stuff and, and, and all of that and the inspiration. But, you know, the nitty gritty, I think, is what helps people understand, like, hey, I could do this. Too. And so it helps to explore it a little bit. So I do want to get to that idea of like, how are you, 
how are you going to scale all purposes of the business? And also the the category you're in, which is these just better for you uh, foods that come out of the ground, essentially, pantry essentials. But um, one of the things I think is most interesting to your business is how much you have focused on design. But that's not just a superficial thing, is it? Um, it actually comes down to like literally how the bottle is made and why. Yes. Yeah. I think people think, you know, I think it's a couple things. I think people think that, oh, it's a pretty bottle and you know, the oil or, you know, whatever's inside is just regular. And I think, you know, we really look at the the design as A, it's a form of storytelling and B, there's a functional element to it. And that the reason why our olive oil bottles are matte white is because it protects the oil from light, which is olive oil's one of olive oil's biggest enemies. Like if you ever see an olive oil bottle in a uh, olive oil in a clear bottle, excuse me, run away. You do not want to buy that. So that was the impetus. Making sure that our bottles were completely opaque was very, very important to us. Mm-hmm. And I always say that our bottles are really like Trojan horses because people will buy them for a friend or buy them for themselves and say, "Oh yeah, this is gorgeous. It's going to sit in my pantry in my kitchen, and I can't wait." And then they try what's inside and they're blown away by the quality. Mm. And that's what ends up converting them to saying, oh my God, this has to be a part of my life going forward. But the bottles serve as this nice <laughs> Trojan horse, like, you know. Absolutely. Mystery. And in a world of Instagram <laughs> and shit, like I imagine that's just, that that is, like you said, like top of the funnel, just getting people in the door. I mean, sh- you know, someday we'll go back to social functions, but I imagine in the old days, you know, you'd show up with uh you know, a couple of bottles of wine, of which I know jack shit about, but you show up with a couple of beautiful olive oil bottles and at least makes people go, oh, whoa, what is that? I've never seen that before. Exactly. And then they That's exactly. pour the lemon one all over some pasta and their, their mind is blown. Yes, exactly. So, but at the same time, you know, these other mass producers don't put their oils and, you know, shitty metal or glass or plastic bottles because they think it's the best call overall for, for taste and longevity. What does such a functional but beautiful bottle do to, for instance, your margins? Is that uh, also sustainable? Is that something you guys have thought about and thought it's worth the cost? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, our biggest cost is paying the farmers well. Mm -hmm. That is it. So yes, of course, the white bottle adds to it, but it's marginal compared to the, the, the the cost to the farmers. And we are not going to compromise on making sure that our farmers are paid well, that they feel like they can continue to create this gorgeous, amazing product. And it's just not in anyone's best interest to squeeze them Mm -hmm. out of their livelihood. So I think from a big picture standpoint, I think it's really that education and understanding that if something is a product of agriculture and it's made here in the United States and you're supporting a small farm, a family run farm that doesn't have massive subsidies and is doing things organically, you are going to be paying more for it. Sure. And I mean, at the same time, it it is almost uh, your obligation as someone who is trying to both support and promote those farmers to protect the product until it gets to the consumer, right? Yes. I mean, it would be exactly. it would be so 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 destructive to go like, all right, we'll just shove it in a glass bottle and put it on a shelf, and it's like, well, then nobody totally. actually gets the benefit of that thing. That's exactly it. 
So how do you, I imagine we're going to grow beyond seven amazing women and a support staff at some point, but also product-wise, how do you, working with family farms, scale both Brightland itself, but also scale it to make it something that is uh, eventually available, uh, you know, in in more grocery stores, in more places, uh, so that more people have access to this sort of, this quality Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, for us, we've been having a lot of conversations with other farms that we love and respect. And, you know, we're building a collective of farms that we will continue to work with. And on the team side, I think that's where, you know, we're really, really thoughtful about growth and hiring. We want to do it sustainably. We want to be, I think, really careful about who we bring on and at what point in time. I'm really proud to say that we have a 0% attrition, like no one has left the company. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not really interested in building something that is going from, you know, zero to 700, you know, in the course of a year. Um, I just don't think that that is how nature intends for these products to grow, Mm -hmm. nor, nor should a really an organization grow in that way. And if it does, you're definitely giving up certain things around culture. But that is so, sometimes the expectation when you bring on investors, though. So you were able to, to communicate that pretty well, you feel like? I think so. I think the days of a physical product kind of company, you know, growing like that, I think people have seen and learned some lessons in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I honestly think that, you know, at least our investors are very, very much on the same page as us. You know, we always talk about ambitious, aggressive, yet really um, thoughtful growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, um, you know, when when my brother and and my other brother, uh, when they pitched, uh, I don't remember which region of Whole Foods it was they pitched. And at the time it was, and it might still be the same, you, there's like 11 different regions or whatever it might be. And this is pre-Amazon and everything. God, now nine years ago, something like that. And overnight, Whole Foods is like, great, we're going to put it in every store. We need a million Chia bars. And they were like, this isn't software, you know? Uh, Oh my God, we have to make a million Chia bars. Oh my God, how are we going to pay to make a million? You know, it's, it's, the overnight thing was, was damn near impossible. So it's nice that there's some more consideration (laughs) for that sort of thing now. Definitely, definitely. It's long, t- long overdue and needed to happen. Um, what is your biggest obstacle right now? What's on your sort of shit list for, for as you're going into next week and next quarter and next year? So I think that the biggest obstacle right now is really blocking out the noise. I think it's never been noisier on social media. You know, people are shouting to be heard. Brands are shouting to be heard. And... It seems like every other day someone is, you know, doing something eerily similar to you, whether it ranges from like a marketing campaign all the way to coming out with a product that's super similar to yours, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that for me, my biggest hurdle is always staying true to us, Mm -hmm. staying relentlessly focused and cutting out the noise. And I think that that doesn't just apply to a business owner. I think it applies to everybody. I think everyone is extremely oversaturated with the noise that social brings, whether it's Twitter, whatever you're on, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Mm -hmm. it's all so noisy. It's very much about 
you know, it, it brings out a lot of the worst tendencies in all of us in terms of being vain and humble bragging mm-hmm. and performative behaviors. And I think that it's tiring for people to absorb on a day-to-day basis, to keep absorbing that kind of energy. And so I'm very focused on spending less time on my phone, on those sorts of activities and making sure that, you know, we do things that are true to us. So for example, we actually opened a shop in Nolita in in New York City in Soho on Elizabeth Street. Nice. And we did that as an antidote to all of the like digital mayhem. We said, let's do something totally analog. Let's test this out. It's a micro retail concept. It's like a couple hundred square feet, but it's this jewel box of a beautiful shop. And that's our way of just planting a different flag in the ground. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's got to be a balance for you, though, because you guys are crazy popular on Instagram and and the like. So I imagine you do have to still serve that crowd. Yes. But how do we do it in a way that serves ourselves and our brand. So mm-hmm. one example is we don't post every single day. We have a set number of days that we post and we don't go over that. Even if the algorithm would reward us more, we'd have more following. We'd have maybe more more of everything, mm-hmm. right? If we were to post every day, I refuse to put my team through that. Well, I love that. I mean, I feel like if there's anything that folks who have been privileged enough to do so over the past uh, year and a half, couple years now, have realized and, and uh, you know, to, to a smaller but to a meaningful extent tried to commit to is just some rationality um, to how we conduct our days and our weeks, both for ourselves and our, our businesses and our, and our families. Because it's just, I mean, especially in this country, it's, it's too much. <laughs> it's, just, it's just too much. So, and we can not do this part if you'd like, but I also think it would be fun. On the note of those pantry essentials, What are some other, what are like three to five or two or whatever other brands or products that you love and swear by that are barking up the same sort of tree as far as what they're committed to? I love Brooklyn Deli. It's this Indian owned, they do a lot of sauces and achars and chutneys. They have a curry ketchup. I mean, their, their stuff is phenomenal. So they're definitely at the top of my list um, right now. Who else do I really love? I love Burlap and Barrel. They have single origin, incredible spices. And we actually collaborated with them this holiday to come out with a, a Brightland spice blend. Um, yeah, it's really fantastic. They they visit every country that they source the spices from. And they're they're one of the only direct trade spice companies out there. Um, So, you know, our spice blend has cobanero chili and Isar, you know, Turkish Isar black pepper. It has just Mm. really, really, um, yeah, we have some really special sort of ingredients that come together and I I love them a lot. Awesome. Rock and roll. Where if you have more, you can always send them to me as well and we'll do that. So, all right, we're getting close to time here. I'm so thankful for you sharing this and, and your whole story with us. Um, I got a few last questions we ask everybody and then yes. uh, we'll get you out of here. And I know you've got something you want to share with everybody so that they can um, inhale olive oil the way I do. So Ash, when was the first time in your life when you realized that you or you and whatever squad you roll with had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? What was that first sort of inclination? 
It could be during your school days. It could be professionally. You know, I always say I am living a much bigger life than I ever thought I would. Hmm. I I was not one of those people that said, I'm going to be a Supreme Court justice one day and then ended up like working as a legal counsel somewhere. Like I, I was, I'm actually the opposite in that I had such little dreams for myself. I didn't really know, you know, what I wanted to be and kind of would, would ask people, what should I be? And sort of tried to like take what their vision of me was and apply it to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm definitely living a much bigger life than I, than I ever dreamed I could. And I think I really stepped into myself with at the beginning of this Brightland journey, to be totally honest. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Ash, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh my gosh. I can't say one person. I'm going to say my whole team. <laughs> the other six women on my team, they are so amazing. They are phenomenal from like a execution standpoint, from how they dream up things, their creativity, their, um, I think their, their pursuit of New York city excellence with California spirit, which is one of Brightland's core values. <laughs> I see them do that and manifest that every day. So yeah. Definitely my team. I love that. Is that, would you say if nothing else applied, that that would be your sort of leading indicator for hiring another woman like this? Is the, what was it, New York City excellence with California spirit? Yeah, that's definitely one of them. And the other is, you know, someone who is thinking about we and not just me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. Um Ash, it's been, it's been a little crazy out there these days. What is your sort of self-care? Um, runs, going in the woods, video games, ice cream, who can know? Um, okay, so my self-care things are definitely putting the phone away in a cabinet mm -hmm. for an extended period of time. It's reading, cooking, cookbooks. Even if I've, you know, gone through the cookbooks before, they don't need to be new, but I, I like love to just sit there with some music and like just flip through cookbooks, mm -hmm. even if it's a cookbook where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to ever make any of this, <laughs> but just the joy and yeah, it's like sitting with a glass of wine, looking at cookbooks. It is, I love succession and morning show. So watching <laughs> those two shows. Uh, definitely yoga and my Peloton have been a part of self-care. And then, oh, my husband and my dogs are a huge part of it because we go on an hour long walk in the morning every single day. Oh, that's awesome. Would you put them in that order? Husband and dogs? <laughs> Maybe dogs. And husband. Look, no, nobody <laughs> has to know. Uh, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Look, we've just, it seems like a, such a silly question, but A, it's been gnarly for so long and B, you know, there, again, there's so many people that are just hustling out there and and we try to make it very clear that like, you got to stop and take care of yourself. And I, oh, you have and to. I think people yeah. love learning from folks like yourself who, who are doing it, but are also taking care of themselves. Yeah. And on that point, I just have to say, like, I'm not, I'm very much anti-hustle porn kind of like behavior. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, uh, I'm not just sitting on my computer late into the evening. I really like try not to work much on the weekends because it's really, we have to remember that this is all a marathon. It's just not a sprint. Yeah. And we can't let ourselves burn out. Um, and we have to know what our individual capacity is too. Sure. My, my therapist is very uh, frequently, I mean, he's probably just got it on repeat at this point, telling me my load and my limit cannot be the same thing all of the time. Mm. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, uh, it sticks with you. Um, last one. What is a book you've read this year that has either opened your mind to a topic you hadn't considered before or that has changed your thinking in some way? You know, there's this interior designer named Axel Verbert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, his style is very, it's so neutrals and nudes. And he's he really was one of the pioneers of the wabi-sabi kind of mind, um, mindset mm-hmm. when thinking about interiors. And I always sort of, candidly, I've always sort of rejected his aesthetic. Mm -hmm. But then I I bought a book of his and spent time with it and found a lot of beauty in what he was saying and his philosophy behind interiors. And it, it made me think about it in a different way because I'm all about color and brightness. And for me, like a just coziness, like that's my wabi sabi. Mm-hmm. And to see him talk about his viewpoint, totally different, but, but equally, you know, I think, I think equally really special. That's cool. Not easy to change someone's mind on interior design. No, I mean, I don't think I'll ever actually pursue his. Sure. But I mean, (laughs) sure. But you appreciate it now for what it is. I appreciate it. That's awesome. Well, we'll dig that up. And we've got um, a wonderful list on bookshop uh, that we throw everybody's recommendations into The guests love that. Okay, last thing before we get out of here, you uh, said you had some sort of uh, code for for our people. Let's let's give them that so that they can do do the thing. Yes, absolutely. We have a little holiday gift for all of the listeners. Use the code INI at brightland.co and you'll get 10% off of anything that you buy from now until the end of the year. So through the holidays. Amazing. I highly recommend going to our gift guide. We have minis. We have some really wonderful sets and bundles that you can shop for everyone on your list. Teachers, parents, kids, uh, spouses, loved ones. I love it. Colleagues. Yeah, but I I really loved being being on this. Oh, thank you so much. No, of course, thank you. Uh, I have I have been so curious about about you and the product and the company for for so long. So, uh, really appreciate it. So the website is brightland.co. Uh, is that correct? Yes, and, brightland.co. And Instagram, uh, what is it? Is it just Brightland? At we are Brightland. We are Brightland. Beautiful, um, awesome. And we're gonna throw in the code ini, and that's just at checkout. Is that correct? Exactly. Beautiful. Ash, thank you so much for all that you're doing and supporting these farmers who are having a tough time and and turning into something incredible and to paying them fairly and to then, you know, uh, uh, protecting people against themselves by giving us a bottle that helps us keep the food fresh. Um, I also realized at one point uh, that I was keeping it next to the burners in the oven. And then I realized I've been making that mistake my whole life. So I learned that from, I know, terrible, but you know what? You can't go (laughs) chip back and you can't change time, Ash, but all we can do is do better going forward. So um, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Please uh, keep it up. Thank you to your incredible team out there. Um, it is amazing what you guys are, are doing. I can't wait for more people thank to Thank you, Quinn. Thank, thank you so much, Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. Loved every minute of this. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Uh, just so weird.
Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.